from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, and you can hear my voice is a little raspy today. Um, this is uh, hopefully the tail end of this uh, bout of bronchitis I've been dealing with. Unbelievable. So bear with me. Uh, it's not an imposter. I'm not AI. It's the real me. It's just very raspy. So I'll be, um, I'll be uh, nursing my uh, raspy voice with some tea and lemon throughout the evening, but we're still bringing you everything we've got to bring you. And one of the things I wanted to talk about tonight was the uh, Titan submarine. Of course, um, that's a, a trending story today where they believe they found some human remains, but they're not sure because obviously it was an implosion and it destroyed so much of uh, what uh, it came in contact with. But there's a few things I want to kind of lay out for tonight. First of all, there are reports from NBC News trying to at least in my opinion, trying to cover or normalize the chant that was heard at the New York City Pride Parade that we played here last, uh, I think it was on Friday, and then we played it again on Monday, where they said, we're here, we're queer, and we're coming for your children. I don't know if you remember that, but I think we have the audio. Listen to this. Wow. Yeah, that, that happened. And NBC News put out a report uh, with a headline saying, we're coming for your children chant at New York City drag march, uh, drag march elicits, oh, now it's a New York City drag march. I thought it was an LGBTQ pride march. Uh, maybe that's one of the same. Drag march elicits outrage, but activists say it's taken out of context. <laughs> Listen, you've got to be a very special kind of stupid to tell people that you're coming for their children. I, really, that's all I want to say. Um, children have never been part of any type of recruitment, right? I mean, other than like, you know, the, the cereal box with the, the prize in it or whatever back in the days, those were on the lower shelves so little kids could see them. You can market to kids, but this isn't marketing to kids. This is saying you're coming after them. And again, I've talked about this already. I've, I've, I've said everything I have to say. But when, when, they, when they double down and say that this was taken out of context, I say, no, screw you, you're full of it. That's fake, it's phony, it's fraud. That's just not even true. This was them taking a dig. This is them saying, oh, let's, let's, let's get all those homophobes riled up. At least that's how I take it. Because that's how they see you, right? If, if you don't live your life the way they do, then you're automatically a homophobe. You and me, many of us think if you're a homophobe, then you're afraid of homos. But that's not necessarily how they would define it. Anybody that disagrees 
or takes exception to is is a homophobe. So anyway, that's the headline from NBC News. And and there was some analysis on, on this that I was reading that was interesting. Because now um, conservatives are being criticized, uh, those in the religious communities are being criticized by this NBC News report claiming that the we're coming for your children chant um, has been used for years. And if it has, well, shame on them for years, right? And shame on us for not catching them sooner and putting it out there so that people can know exactly what's going on. I mean, honestly, there's, I get that there is a, um, a part of the culture, the LGBTQ plus culture that celebrates kink, right? I mean, since the days of the village people, right? The one guy, when I was a kid, I thought that guy was a motorcycle rider. You know, the guy, there was an Indian, a construction worker. And, you know, I had no idea. I was into WWF at the time, which is now known as WWE. And, and my grandmother had that album of the village people. And I was like, oh, are those guys wrestlers? And she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. You know, I, so I thought they were wrestlers. But it's funny that, you know, as you get older, you laugh at that stuff. And, and it's funny. Uh, it's funny until it's not just them amongst themselves in, in, in uh, amongst consulting adults. When they're marching down the street saying that they are coming for your children, this is clearly, in my opinion, crossing the line. But what's worse is for the media to come and say that, that this, is, um, this is a chant that's been used for years at Pride events, according to longtime March attendees and activists who say it's one of many provocative expressions used to regain control of slurs against LGBTQ people. All right, so let me, uh, let's, let's try it out. Let's say you want to issue a slur against me because I'm Hispanic. Let's just say you call me uh, something um, derogatory and I go, I'm Hispanic. I'm coming for your children. Did I just regain control of anything? I don't think so. I think I just um, stepped in something, right? I just stepped into something that could be very, very um, um, bad, potentially. And I, I think this whole thing is stupid. I, shame on NBC News for even writing this story to say that, you know, that this was taken out of context. And, you know, this is a normal thing. It's not a normal thing. It's not, there's not a person out there that wants to, okay, there's one person out here, the, the guy from NBC News that wrote this. Nobody else believes that. Everybody, it, it, they, as they posted this on Twitter, on the NBC News Twitter account, beneath it, it says, readers added context. They thought people might want to know. Even their headline is being um, corrected as in, and again, it says here, the coming for your children chant has been used for years at pride events. Whether it has or it hasn't, it's not good. So to sit there and say, you know, children have been kidnapped for years. No, not good, right? It doesn't matter how long something bad has been happening. It doesn't make it any less bad. You don't come after anybody's kids. That's always been the case. Now, it's interesting that in the backlash to this, there are people from the left and from the right and from the middle and people that are apolitical and, and people in the um, LGBT community themselves that are coming out against this stuff. As they should, right? When on earth has it ever been commonplace to, to respond to criticism of you or your movement or your lifestyle or whatever and say, I'm coming for your children, right? Every time somebody calls me a right-wing nut or all the work, then they call me worse. Imagine if I said, oh, well, I'm coming for your children. Just imagine what that would look like. That's insanity. Anyway, 
I'm, I'm trying not to harp on this, but there was an article on it, and I wanted to share it with you. So that's that. Now, Yevgeny Prigozhin, he is the uh, the head of the Wagner Group, the mercenaries that were working for Putin, and then momentarily said, "Hold up, we're gonna." Uh, at least, you know, per the story, we're going to go against Putin. And some are saying this was engineered from the inside. Others say it's something else. I don't know. So we're going to get into a conversation on that in a little bit with somebody that actually worked for Putin. And he's coming up next. Plus, uh, I want to get into a, a conversation on the latest uh, attack on kids. And I say attack because you've got to be crazy to let kids do this. Kids are now identifying as furry animals and and it's it's a whole thing right i mean it's it's a it's a like a movement of of them identifying as as animals in furry costumes and some schools are saying ah it's all right let them do it and that you know it's a normal thing for expression i don't know i i think first you identify as a, a different uh gender now you're saying you identify as a different species that is lunacy to me but we're going to get to the bottom of that with Teresa Lusk a little bit later on. And, of course, Bidenomics was launched today. Bidenomics is, um, just like it sounds, the economic plan from President Biden. He's touting his wonderful economy that has brought us into the highest inflation we've seen in 40-something years. And uh, former economist at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, he's going to join us to break it down a little bit later. But first, we're going to hear from somebody that used to work from Vladimir Putin and get the scoop on Russia. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have, I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. It's hard to tell, but he's clearly losing the war in Iraq. He's losing the war at home. And he has uh, become a bit of a fly around the world. Uh, it's not just NATO. It's not just the European Union. It's Japan. It's, it's you know, it's 49th. All right, that's President Biden uh, referring to the war in Ukraine as the war in Iraq, saying I think Putin's losing the war in Iraq. And, um, of course, he misspoke, and um, I'm not going to make fun of him and call him Joe El Baboso Biden or anything like that. I'll leave that for the 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock hour. But um, I do want to um, play you an additional piece of audio from Secretary of State Anthony Blinken also describing the latest on what's going on in Russia. Check this out. This last episode showing to some extent, the internal dimensions of this failure, uh, I think speaks volumes. But uh, I don't want to predict where this is going to go, when it's going to get there. I do know that, that Putin has a lot of new questions that he has to answer for. So Putin has a lot of questions that he has to answer for. Again, that's uh, Secretary Anthony Blinken. Uh, we also have someone that's going to give us a couple of answers to this. He used to work for Putin at one point, senior analyst for Russian and European affairs at the Center for Security Policy and former economic advisor to Russian President Vladimir Putin, Andrei Ilarionov. Welcome. Thank you for inviting me, Rich. My pleasure. And I, I want to, um, you know, I, I found it fascinating. 
Uh, it's, I, this is the first time I've spoken with somebody who um, once worked, uh, you know, for Putin and has kind of a bird's eye view of what's going on. So I'm really eager to, for, to have this conversation and so that the audience can hear your perspective on this. Now, we, we've seen so much in recent days, Doc. Um, what's your assessment on whether this is a contrived stunt between Putin and Prigozhin, or was this really Prigozhin trying to launch a mutiny? Uh, first of all, uh, if you don't mind, I would say that uh, I always considered my participation not as a work for Putin, but as a work for president of Russia. Yeah, I, hope, I, I would too. Uh, we, we, we can sense the difference. So mm-hmm. it's not a personal matter, it's a matter yeah, you of serve the working office. for the um, uh, national institutions. Uh, certainly at that moment it happened that uh, Putin uh, happened to be the president, but before that I was working as economic advisor to a number of uh, prime ministers of Russia and a uh, number of other officials. So that is why, once again, it's not a personal issue, but the institutional one. Of As course. for your question um, uh, concerning this mutiny, uh, what uh, we need to know first, that was not a personal issue of Prigozhin or Wagner group against Putin. Uh, neither Prigozhin nor Wagner ever uh, mentioned uh, their goal as... Um, aiming at Putin, overthrowing Putin, or changing political regime, or anything like that. What they wanted to get are only guarantees from disbandment of uh, their company within the uh, Russian military and security forces. That was the main goal, and uh, Prigozhin many times mentioned that it's the only goal and that is why the only problem that he had is the Minister of Defense, Shoigu, and the uh, Chief of General Staff, Gerasimov. And with all this uh, uh, theater uh, that we uh, watched uh, over 24 hours, the main goal of Prigozhin has been achieved. Uh, the company Wagner has not been disbanded. It has been relocated at least according to the latest news, to Belarus. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the whole structure looks like has been saved. So that is why uh, we should uh, say that probably to some extent, to some substantial extent, this Prigozhin's mutiny, uh, mutiny uh, happened to be relatively successful. Right. Now, w- w- politically speaking... Um, and again, I'm an outsider looking in. You have a better or purview of this. But I look at this and I think, you know, there's the battle that you fight in the battlefield and there's the battle that you fight in in the public eye. And the the battle in the media, to me, looks like Prigozhin. I agree with you that it was successful, but it also looks like he took a shot at Putin and has been successful. People were saying he would be a dead man. Uh, he's made it to Belarus. People said he wouldn't make it alive. He's there. He's fine. So um, does this, in in my opinion, it makes Putin look um, somewhat weakened as if he had to capitulate here. Is that uh, the consensus abroad or is that just me? No, you're absolutely right. Uh, this is a huge blow to Putin. And Putin has experience, experienced unbelievable public humiliation, no mm-hmm. doubt. 
never before for all almost 24 years uh, of his grip on uh, on the Russian top of the power, he never uh, had anything similar to what he had uh, during the 24 hours. Um, and this was not only public demonstration of his weakness of all kinds, personal weakness, institutional weakness, uh, power weakness, uh, but it also demonstrated how much he has been frightened. And uh, fear that has engulfed him has been demonstrated by him uh, each time when he appeared on uh, screens and in what he was doing during this period of uh, mutiny. He called for help. This is unbelievable in the Russian history. He called for help uh, leaders of Belarus, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, and Turkey. Never before in the history of Russia for all these centuries, none of the uh, leaders of Russia would do anything like that. And also, uh, Putin himself left uh, Kremlin, left Moscow, and flew to his residence 400 kilometers northwest of Moscow to Valdai, uh, which also demonstrated uh, what his feeling was about that. And uh, even he promised in his uh, early Saturday morning statement that he will push down this mutiny. He did nothing to Prigozhin and to Wagner Group. So that right. is why he publicly uh, was not able to fulfill his promises. So which definitely uh, would uh, would demonstrate it to first of all to the Russian public to the Russian regime, and certainly to the outside world, how weak he happened to be. All right. And, and you know, this, um, I, I just find it fascinating because, again, I'd never seen it, and I thought, Putin looks really bad here, <laughs> and I don't know what he's going to do to save face. Um, so I'm glad I wasn't alone on that one. Now, the first response that President Biden had was, the United States had nothing to do with this. You don't have to answer it now because we're going to take a quick break and come right back. But I'd like you to, to weigh in on that if you could when we come back. To, if you think there was anybody else uh, kind of encouraging uh, the, the Wagner Group uh, to do what they did. Um, folks, we are on with our guest, Andre Elianorova. I hope I said that right. Senior Analyst for Russian and European Affairs, Center for Security Policy, and former Chief Economic Advisor to the President of Russia, who happened to be Vladimir Putin at the time. We're coming right back. Don't move a muscle. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... How to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, 
And uh, we're having a really interesting conversation with the uh, former economic advisor to the Russian president, who happened to be Vladimir Putin at the time, Andrei Ilarionov. Ilarionov. Did I get it right this time? Yes. Thank you. All right. You I don't correct. want. I, thank you. I don't want to. I don't want to mess up your name. Because people do that thank to me you. all the time, and I hate it. So I try to pay it forward. Okay. Now uh, you're also senior analyst for Russian and European affairs at the Center for Security Policy. And um, prior to the break, I had asked you for your opinion on on what happens uh, moving forward, and did anybody encourage um, the Wagner Group or Prigozhin uh, to to take this action? What are your thoughts? Uh, now, from what we know, uh, know now, we don't see any particular participation, definitely from outside. Um, there might be some involvement of some uh, military and security officials within Russia who usually support much more hawkish actions uh, on the front uh, uh, in the war against Ukraine and within Russia because Prigozhin and Wagner Company definitely is much more aggressive, much more hawkish, and much more brutal part of the Russian military uh, and security forces, no doubt. Uh, so that is why it might be some people um, uh, within the political regime and military um, infrastructure would support them, but definitely nobody from outside. Uh, and once again, uh, the uh, issue uh, was the main issue, and there is no other uh, explanation uh, so far provided that it would be different explanation. The main issue was the uh, possibility of development of this company and uh, probably some issues with personal security for precaution for his commanders and for his soldiers. So that is why that was the main goal that they were trying to solve. But uh, one very important uh, observation we need to make uh, using your question, uh, because you asked about the Biden administration approach. Yes. And this is something absolutely new, qualitatively new, that we learned during this um, uh, weekend, that some people only had some, uh, some expectations or some possible analysis, but now there is a public confirmation. Biden administration publicly sided uh, with Putin, against Ukraine. During this crisis, uh, Biden administration uh, provided pressure, uh, put pressure on Ukrainian authorities not to explode this temporal weakness of Putin and not to attack Russian forces on the front. Moreover, they pressed Ukrainians not to attack a quotation offensive assets on uh, on the Russian side. And it appears that Ukrainians uh, were forced to fulfill this uh, requirement, this demand from the Biden administration. So that is why in the critical moment for Putin's regime, and this is true, that is one of the most serious crises in Putin's, oh, uh, sure. of the Putin's regime. So Biden administrations uh, switch sides and allied with Putin against Ukrainian. So it's obviously that such moment can be used and must be used to achieve the goals of the Ukrainian counteroffensive, 
to liberate uh, Ukrainian territory occupied by Russian forces, to liberate millions of people who happen to be on these occupied territories. And at this critical moment, the Biden administration switched sides and actually uh, kind of uh, stabbed Ukrainians in the back um, because they essentially forbade Ukrainians to continue their offensive uh, in the goal to liberate occupied Ukrainian territories. And because Ukraine is critically uh, depend, uh, critically depends on uh, the United States uh, in uh, uh, receiving military aid, right. Ukrainians were forced to comply. So, and uh, even more, some publications, including Washington Post, CNN, uh, Financial Times, Politica, all of them saying that through this crisis, um, it became clear, and actually Biden administration made it clear by itself, that the strategy of the Biden administration in this Russian-Ukrainian war, not to allow Ukrainians to win this war in such a way that it would lead to this uh, kind of to removal of Mr. Putin from power. Uh, on decomposition of Putin's regime. So the main goal of Biden's administration to keep Putin in power, to preserve him in power, to save him from any crisis. And instead of put him to the Hague, to the special tribunal for military uh, criminals, right, to bring Putin to the negotiations table. And they would like to discuss uh, with Putin several issues, including future of Ukraine, and future of security guarantees for Europe. And that has been uh, officially proclaimed by the person whom you uh, already already invited to listen to a little bit early, Anthony Blinken, Secretary of State, who Mm -hmm. made such a statement uh, a few weeks ago in Helsinki. And after that, repeated uh, those statements uh, after that uh, during his press conference. But it is now not only public proclamation what they would like to achieve, but this is actual actions during the one of the uh, most serious crises uh, for Putin's regime. So now we know that if and when next crisis such or similar will happen for Putin again, uh, Biden administration would once again come for saving Putin, to, for helping Putin, uh, to supporting Putin, preserving him from the downfall. And this is probably the most important new knowledge that we got from this crisis. Folks, we are on with Andrei Ilarionov. He is a former economic advisor to the Russian president at the time, Vladimir Putin. He's currently senior analyst for Russian and European affairs at the Center for Security Policy. Now, uh, Doc, I want to ask you a question. What we just, you just described, this siding uh, with the wrong side and, and stabbing them in the back. Would you say this is cowardice to act on behalf of the Biden administration or complicity? Uh, all right. We can say this is a strategy because for all these six months of this new stage of full-scale war that Putin uh, launched against Ukraine, many people... Everybody who can watch all this uh, brutal aggression uh, kept asking questions. Why military assistance uh, that uh, U.S. administration is giving to Ukraine 
is so small, is so minimal, because it's not enough even to sometimes to stay the line, not even more for counteroffensive. Mm. People ask questions why the so-called sanctions policy of Biden brought Putin 400 billion new uh, additional profits and increased uh, Russian GDP by 21% in dollar terms. This is absolutely unique result for the whole history of any country under sanctions. Mm-hmm. Due to this uh, profits due to this present from Mr. Biden, uh, Putin was able to increase substantially government expenditure and especially military expenditure. He increased massively military expenditures using these resources received due to Biden's policy to produce more weaponry, to hire more people, to mobilize more people, and to continue this brutal war against, uh, against Ukraine. So people kept asking why some basic uh, armaments like uh, missiles, like tanks, like uh, jets uh, are not provided to Ukraine. Why this military is so small? Why mm-hmm. uh, the re- uh, such a sanction policy that is helping Putin, not Ukraine? And there was, uh, there was no clear answer on all those questions. Now we got those uh, answers. The answer is very clear. This is a strategy strategy that is being pursued by Biden administration for all the six months of this war. Playing both sides. Uh, essentially, uh, the Biden administration is saying that, okay, we are supporting Ukraine. Supporting, yes, that's true. There is some support is being provided, but only up to the point. Right. And now we know there's a point. The point is, yes, you can do something. You can move a few meters or a few kilometers, and you can get some of the occupied territories. But what you are not allowed to do, you are not allowed to touch Putin. You are not allowed to destroy the regime. You are not allowed to, uh, uh, for regime change. But we all know that as long as Putin in Kremlin, he will continue the war against Ukraine. He never hided this goal to destroy of sovereignty and nationhood uh, of Ukraine. He never hided that he's going to continue his aggressive policy against Georgia, Moldova, Baltic countries. And if he succeeds, he would continue his aggression against other European countries. So that is why, and that's not a secret, it's not a secret for right, Biden. No, he wrote about this. Yeah, no, it's an open fact, and he repeated so many times, No, there is no secret at all. So Biden administration know that very well. So that is why, by preserving Putin in power, Biden administration consciously oriented on continuing Putin's aggression against uh, neighbors of Russia. All right, Doc, we're going to hang on right here, and um, we're going to come right back. Uh, folks, we're on with... Dr. Andrei Ilarionov, uh, former economic advisor to the Russian president and current senior analyst for Russian and European affairs at the Center for Security Policy. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America. 
This is Knight. This is Rich Valdez. President Putin's conviction that he can outlast Ukraine and he can outlast all of us. The more we're able to disabuse him of that notion, the more likely it is that at some point he'll come to the table. All right, that is Secretary Anthony Blinken. And I tend to, to, to think that after the um, public embarrassment on the global stage, that maybe this will be a little bit accelerated. We'll see if they come to the table and what is in store for Russia and Ukraine in uh, in the short future. Our guest is Dr. Andrei Ilarionov. He is the senior analyst for Russian and European affairs at the Center for Security Policy, and he's the former chief eco- economic advisor to the Russian president at the time, Vladimir Putin. Uh, Doc, what do you think happens from here on out? I think it's very good that you put this uh, quote from Mr. Blinken, uh, mm-hmm. just that played a few seconds ago, because it uh, demonstrates how wrong uh, is the Biden administration in their understanding of Putin and Putin's regime. Right. They uh, public is saying that they would like to bring uh, Putin to the negotiations table. And Mr. Putin told many times that he's not interested in negotiations. He's interested in destruction of Ukraine, in destruction of uh, statehood, sovereignty, uh, uh, the uh, Ukrainian nations itself, as we know, how Russian troops are destroying the um, uh, Ukrainian textbooks, uh, history, uh, everything that associated with Ukrainian culture. He, I mean, Putin, is ready to go to negotiation table only after he finishes his job, about which he said so many times. So that is why, by putting this goal, bringing Putin to the negotiation table, Biden administration is doing everything possible and impossible to continue this war, to giving Putin opportunity to kill more Ukrainians, to destroy more civilian objects uh, in Ukraine, and to uh, bring more destruction to this nation. This is a very clear and very persistent strategy that is not only proclaimed, but being executed by the White House. So... Short of regime change, it seems like there's there's uh, or or some massive sign of force from the office of the president of the United States. And again, maybe it's not Biden, maybe it's some future president um, to kind of put him in his place and say, hey, look, this is over, because if you don't, this is going to happen. It seems like this will be the status quo, this unending war. Uh, At this moment. Definitely, yes, because this is the official position of the current administration, because what are they doing? Not only what they think, they think it's clearly, but what they're doing is just to prolong this war as long as possible and just to bring as more distractions to Ukraine as possible, just uh, because they put uh, set up the absolutely wrong, unfulfilled uh, goal. This goal cannot be fulfilled uh, because Putin will, would not go to negotiations table until uh, Ukraine is destroyed or until Ukraine would win this war. But Ukraine can win this war only by achieving replacement of the current 
Putin's political regime in Russia. There is no other way. Yeah. So that is why blocking this particular direction, a Biden administration is doing everything possible to continue this war. Now, Dr. Ilarionov, I want you to let everybody know how they can follow uh, the work that you're doing. Um, if there's a website or a uh, social media handle you would like to plug, please let us know. Uh, yes. So I'm working with the Center for Security Policy. You're welcome to visit the uh, website of the center, as well as my personal uh, uh, live journal blog, Twitter, Facebook, Telegram uh, channel. So all of them are available and there is information both in English and Russian for those who are familiar with those, that language as well. So uh, it's done on a regular basis uh, every day. Well, thank you. This was a really enlightening conversation. I really appreciate your, um, uh, your candor and your clarity on a topic that I know is uh, confusing to a lot of people. We can barely understand American politics half the time, let alone Russian politics <laughs> and, and the geopolitical uh, situation in, in uh, Europe. Um, folks, Dr. Andrei Ilarionov, he is the senior analyst for Russian and European affairs at the Center for Security Policy and the former chief economic advisor to uh, the Russian president. Doc, I want to thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Rich. Uh, all the best. Likewise. Hope to have you back soon. And, folks, we're going to get to your calls uh, straight ahead, 833-482-5337. Pardon my raspy voice, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, and to the phones we go, America, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to Tom calling us from WDEL, Philadelphia area. Tom, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hello, Rich. How are you? I'm all right. A little raspy today. I'm recovering from bronchitis, but thank God. Yeah, me too. But um, I wanted to know, was your um, guest located in the United States of America and yeah, me, I'm having a hard time believing. I'm having a hard time believing it because this is right wing religious propaganda. I'm gay, and my opinion is someone needs to get in there and pop a bullet in your head. Well, listen to this, Tom. Let me ask you this one. Now, uh, before they pop anything in my head, what do you think about this chant that was at the the pride parade where they were saying we're here, we're queer, and we're coming for your children? Do you think it was appropriate to go after people's children? You got any kids of your own? I do. Tom? Crickets. Crickets. Well, Tom, if you're still listening, I'll tell you, me and so many parents like me would take pleasure killing another human being who endangered our children and their lives. And, and I think that's not a wise thing to do. I don't care what your cause is. Don't say you're coming after people's children. It's not going to go well. Anyway... We're coming back with more conversation. We've got a lot to discuss. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night, and we'll be right back. Bidenomics up next.
live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. And it's my pleasure to be with you. If you want to uh, join our late-night national town hall conversation, feel free. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. As you know, I've been nursing my voice back to good health because I had some bronchitis. So bear with me and my raspiness tonight. Uh, hour number two, happy to be here with you. And uh, President Biden has now tripled down on his denial of any involvement in Hunter's business dealings. Of course, that was after, you know, he said he didn't know anything and that Hunter didn't do anything. My son's done nothing wrong. Then Hunter said, all right, I'm pleading guilty to the two tax fraud charges. And um, I'm going to go into a program because I'm an addict on the gun charge. But still, he hasn't done anything wrong. He's the smartest guy that Joe Biden knows. That's uh, that one. Then you've got. A government watchdog group has uncovered $200 billion in COVID relief fraud. Man. And in the next hour, we're going to get to a story that little kids are creating and cultivating what they call fursonas. That's right. Uh, furry personas. They dress up as furry animals because they identify as animals. And teachers are telling parents, listen, it's not such a big deal. It's okay. And here's why. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, of course, I want to talk about this poll. Look, look at this. So um, President Biden is now touting his Bidenomics through a, a, a new poll, though, shows only 34 percent of the country approves of his handling of the economy. I'm not an economist, but that means 66 percent don't approve of his handling of the economy. And with a figure like that, that's lower than his overall approval rating. It, it gives new credence to the term, uh, to the phrase that James Carville uh, once um, rattled off during the Clinton years, that it's the economy. Stupid. And I think he was right. So I want to get to the bottom of that. And um, somebody who understands the economy and understands uh, uh, monetary policy better than the rest of us is our guest, David Barker. He's a former economist at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York and He's a partner in Barker Companies. They own and manage and develop uh, real estate investments. And uh, I'm curious to hear his thoughts on Bidenomics. But I want to play a quick clip of Joe Biden before we bring in David Barker. Listen to Joe Biden telling America that Bidenomics is working. Bidenomics is working. When I took office, the pandemic was raging and our economy was reeling. Supply chains are broken. Millions of people unemployed. Hundreds of thousands of small businesses on the verge of closing after so many had already closed. Literally hundreds of thousands on the verge of closing. Today, the U.S. has the highest economic growth rate 
leading the world economies since the pandemic, the highest in the world. As Dick said, with this help, we created 13.4 million new jobs, more jobs in two years than any president has ever made in four and two. And folks, it's no accident. That's Bidenomics in action. Bidenomics is about building an economy from the middle out and the bottom up, not the top down. Four and in two, but four. Anyway, you got you to gotta just appreciate those moments, I think. Uh, again, our guest, uh, David Barker, former economist at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. David Barker, welcome, sir. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, I, I believe we had you on a couple of months back, and it was an excellent conversation. I said, you know what? If anybody can add some context and some color to this, uh, it's going to be David Barker. So uh, what do you make of this initial comment that Bidenomics is working? Well, he's taking credit for the economic effects of uh, the end of the pandemic, which is ridiculous. Uh, you know, we had this gigantic uh, uh, event that affected the economy. Uh, it went away. And so, uh, you know, a, a lot of there was economic strength happening from that. But we're no better off than we were previous to COVID. There's no great gains that he can point to from his policies. Yeah, not only are we no better off, I think we're worse off, right? Inflation well, was a lot better before then. It's a lot worse. <laughs> Absolutely. Now. And the deficit is much worse also. Uh, the COVID spending, which was way more than what was necessary, even Larry Summers, uh, a Democrat economist, uh, said that early on, that the stimulus package that Biden pushed was much, much larger than was needed, and that's what caused inflation. In his speech, he says it's all Russia's fault, but... That's not true. It's his fault for pushing too much stimulus. So, you know, you've got the president here. And again, I know you're an economist, but I mean, this seems to be a, uh, both an economic and a political issue. I feel like Biden's playing politics here, which is what politicians do. But I just don't know if it's going to work. I, I can't think of anybody, people that like him even, that are going to say, oh, my gosh, you're right. Bi- Bidenomics has been phenomenal. I just bought a new vacation home because of this. Uh, I just, you know, I got three more raises at my job. Uh, while I know the job front isn't as bad as some said it might be, and, and that's a good thing for America. But I, I don't think that even with the good job numbers, uh, I don't think that's enough to say that Bidenomics is working. How, do, how does anybody reconcile that? from your uh, perspective as an economist? Well, I don't think that they can. And uh, I think a lot of people are worried because uh, inflation is still high and the Federal Reserve is trying to uh, uh, bring it down. And they're bringing it down with high interest rates that are slowing economic growth. There's a real risk of recession because of that. Uh, If that happens, just thinking about the politics, then his pushing Bidenomics is going to backfire on him. But he seems to be uh, taking a gamble uh, that we won't go into recession. And no one knows whether that will happen or not. And that, that's really the, the segue to my next question is uh, today he made that uh, somewhat authoritatively, I would say. <laughs> he said, we're, we're not going into a recession. Uh, what, do you think that was just a gamble or do you think he's basing it on, on something that maybe I'm overlooking? 
No, I think it's a gamble. Uh, there are a lot of signs that point to recession. Uh, you know, shipping volumes are down, which is often a good indicator. Uh, other indications of weakness, but no one knows. Uh, if there will be a recession or not. That's, these things are often uh, inherently unpredictable. So what are your thoughts on, on how this plays out, you know, from your perspective? Um, does the recession come in with, um, with the job-crushing um, ability that it can have, or do, do we, are we spared that aspect of it? What do you think? Well, that has happened before. Uh, the last time that we had uh, high inflation that the Federal Reserve uh, uh, was bringing down, right. uh, they raised interest rates, and that caused a major recession with lots of jobs lost, lots of uh, bankruptcies. You're talking about uh, Volcker. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, and we don't know whether that will happen uh, again this time. Uh, this time there do uh, seem to be labor shortages. Some of that is because labor participation rate still has not gotten back to where it was pre-COVID. So we have labor shortages, and that's keeping uh, wages high uh, and keeping unemployment low. So uh, it may be that we have a, uh, a business recession. Interest, high interest rates will cause problems for businesses without some of the same employment effects that we've seen previously. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that would be the, I guess, the uh, the better way to weather the storm than than full on recession, where you know everybody's losing their shirt, uh, losing jobs, and, and that type of thing. Um, Absolutely, the key is whether inflation comes down or not, uh, and inflation seems to be stubborn at mm-hmm. you know around five percent or so. If you look at the core inflation rate, taking out energy and food, it's really been pretty. Uh, the rate has been pretty flat over the last several months. Uh, the Federal Reserve won't tolerate that. If that continues, they will raise rates more uh, to try and bring that inflation down to 2%, whether it causes recession or not. Right. Now, and, and here's where, you know, and again, um, this is why you're here. Would that be the, the right thing to do, even though it's the, the rate has been flat, I mean, to continue to bring it down, even though you're inflicting a little bit more pain, just to get it to that 2%? Would that be just for the sake of competition to say, look, we got it as low as, it, you know, as, as Trump's economy you know, pre-COVID? Or is that actually where we need to be in order to see more growth? Well, that's a great question. Because there has been a lot of work on what are called the welfare effects of inflation. In other words, how much pain does a high inflation rate cause? How much damage uh, does it do? And at low rates of inflation, the damage is really not all that severe. Uh, An inflation rate of 3% doesn't really do a whole lot more damage than an inflation rate of 2%, as long as it's stable. Right. If inflation rates are jumping all over the place, that causes right. damage and makes it difficult for businesses to understand supply and demand signals. But if inflation is stable at, say, 3% or 4% or 5%, it's not going to do a lot of damage. But the Federal Reserve has promised that they will get inflation down to 2%. And the Federal Reserve, when they make a promise, they want to follow through on it. They want their credibility intact. And so uh, if, even if inflation at, say, 3% might be just fine, they are going to hammer the economy until they get it down to 2% because that's what they promised. Yeah, that that's, uh, doesn't sound like a good look. Uh, folks, 
We're on with David Barker. He's a former economist with the Federal Reserve Bank in New York. We're discussing Bidenomics, and we're going to talk about a couple of other uh, economic topics on the way back. If you have a question or a comment or uh, something that you want to weigh in on, the phone number 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. major legislations be passed people go that's great but it takes time to get it out in the field it takes time for them to see it and i'm not here to declare victory on the economy i'm here to say we have a plan that's turning things around incredibly quickly well listen biden's been turning things around incredibly quickly through legislation through executive action through uh, all sorts of federal agencies including the fed and uh, they, they've been trying to turn everything into a um, a woke utopia since he started producing all sorts of things. Um, they're forcing mortgage companies to to issue mortgages based on, on or at least based on certain credit scores and give people a, a certain break based on race. Uh, they base things on climate. You name it, uh, that's what they're doing. And when big banks have to produce reports based on climate or or any other issue that, you know, falls under that ESG guideline, this is obviously going to um, restrict their business in various areas. So I want to talk about that, the impact of all of these um, climate impacts on our economy that are coming from the administration. Our guest, David Barker, he's a former economist with the uh, Federal Reserve Bank of New York and He's the author of the book, Welcome to Free America. David, welcome back. Thank you. So what's your, your take on uh, all of these crazy climate deals uh, that are being pushed uh, through legislation and through executive action? Well, you know, what I've been writing about lately is the Federal Reserve's action on climate change. Mm-hmm. Uh, they really ought to be worrying about inflation and the banking system, but they've put quite a bit of effort into climate. Uh, they have a lot of economists working on it. They have conferences. Uh, they are, as you said, forcing banks to issue reports on their climate risk. And you would think that with all that effort and with all the brain power they have at the Fed that they would be doing high-quality research on it. But I took a close look at the climate research that the Fed has been doing and found that it's terrible. Uh, the, they, the assumptions are all incorrect. The use of data is wrong. Uh, everywhere you look, it's just poor-quality research. So is this more red tape, more bureaucracy? Is this just appeasing the uh, environmentalists on the left, or is there more to it? Well, I think it is 
an institution that is trying to be relevant and trying to uh, you know increase its political power and uh, they see this as an issue to uh, you know they can jump on the bandwagon of and uh, you know and and increase uh, their uh, political power their authority and uh, so they're working on it they're trying to get involved in that issue but uh, like I say the uh, the research just isn't very good uh, they were trying to prove that higher temperatures would lead to lower rates of economic growth. And, uh, you know, the data just don't show that. All right. I want to switch gears with you before we run out of time. And I want to ask you about FedNow and this pilot program they have where they've digitized uh, the dollar. And a lot of people are up in arms about this because the government can eventually control it if this gets to the consumer. Now, what they're launching now isn't a consumer version, but it's a interbank version. Um, what's your take on this? Fed now well, program. I do think that central banks around the world intend to get into the digital currency business. Uh, you know, they're starting slowly uh, and working out the bugs, uh, but uh, I think they will get there. And digital currency will certainly increase the ability of government to track people, uh, to track economic activity, and to control economic activity. And uh, if you control economic activity, you control uh, pretty much everything. How's that for a free market? It flies in the face of our system, no? Well, it flies in the face of political freedom. Uh, it, it gives the opportunity for government to have unbelievable power. And I think history shows that when you give governments power, uh, it's often abused. So I think that uh, people are not wrong to think that this is a potentially dangerous development. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't know if this ever gets past Congress. If it doesn't, then that means they don't roll it out to everybody kind of writ large, but um, they'll still continue to use it internally, right? Oh, yes, and I think it will be a difficult thing to stop. Uh, these kinds of, uh, I mean, technology is hard to stop, and uh, other uh, governments around the world will likely move in this direction, and there will be increasing pressure uh, on the U.S. To, uh, to do the same. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. I want you to let everybody know how they can uh, you know, peruse the writings that you're doing and uh, the work that you're working on and where they could buy a copy of your book, Welcome to Free America. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, so uh, my work on climate change, uh, you can find at Econ Journal Watch, and that is a, uh, a journal that's devoted to uh, uh, critiquing articles in other academic journals. So that's uh, Econ Journal Watch. You can find that uh, on the web. And uh, my book uh, has been available on Amazon. Uh, it, it may be difficult to find, but I think there are still some copies out there. Outstanding. Well, thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. I hope you'll come back soon. I appreciate your analysis. Godspeed to you, sir. You're a patriot. Oh, thank you very much. You bet. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. They're saying little kids are identifying as furry animals, calling them uh, personalities. What's up with that? We're going to talk about that with Teresa Lusk. Straight ahead. I'm Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere. Valdez. 
All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. And our phone number, if you want to join our late night national town hall conversation, feel free to do that. The phone number, 833-482-5337-833 Valdez. And listen to this headline. This is a doozy. Parents and teachers warned not to ridicule, ridicule school kids who identify as animals. Teachers and parents have been warned not to overreact to school kids identifying as furries, people with an active interest in animal characters with human characteristics. What is that, like Garfield the cat? <laughs> An animal with a human character? That's so funny. Uh, a government-backed safeguard says that children dressing up in furry costumes need to feel uh, comfortable while expressing themselves. Now, listen, I'm all about self-expression. I do it every day on the radio. but And I don't mind if my kids dress up. But the idea that, you know, we should allow them to explore their identity uh, or their fursona or personality, I think that's some crazy, crazy. So I want to get to the bottom of that with our guest. And uh, she's been here before. I want to welcome her back. She's host of the Teresa Lusk Show. Teresa Lusk, welcome. Hey, Rich. Thank you. How are you? I'm all right. I, my voice is raspy. I'm, I'm, I've uh, beaten, um, what's that called? Uh, bronchitis. But um, I'm still here. Thank God. Awesome. Good. So tell me about this because uh, I'd, I'd heard about this years ago with adults, like about a year and a half ago, and they had conventions and everything, furry conventions. But I didn't know that this had spilled over into children. What can you tell us about it? Well, of course, it's spilling into children because that's what this crazy culture is doing, right? They're trying to take over our children's minds. And naturally, it because these are little uh, seemingly furry little human type animal and human characteristics, I mean, it's naturally going to get the attention of our children. So um, it seems like it's you know, uh, innocent. The, the concerning thing is so there's a couple of things that are concerning. One is that, um, you know, a lot of these furries or personas, uh, most of them that belong to this kind of little group are men who have sexual fetishes. So it starts there, some kind of weird little kinky fetishes. Hmm. And then the other is now our children are being, the parents, um, are being told, and of course, this is a British group, but, you know, it spills into the U.S. and the U.S. into other nations and vice versa, um, that we need to support the children if they feel like identifying as some kind of furry or um, fursona. And that is just goes along with what's going on now with the whole whatever you want to identify is, whether you're a woman or, or a man or however you, quote, feel then we need to make it as comfortable as possible so that they can naturally fall into that identity. So there is a problem with that, that we are starting to see now with this group. Now, this is interesting because I remember there was some backlash over this. People were saying that uh, this idea about kids dressing up as animals and calling themselves furries and, uh, and some were demanding litter boxes. And then it was later challenged as misinformation, saying it wasn't happening, it's not a real thing. But I'd seen entire conventions of adults doing this. 
And and like you said, I think it makes sense for people, you know, try to introduce this to children. Um, is this, from what you know, exclusive to the United Kingdom or uh, with children? Uh, or, is it, or is it happening all over the place? I think it's something that's happening all over the place. I think that there aren't any borders or barriers anymore when it comes to um, let's just, you know, take anything and say we identify with it or let's just become whatever we want to become. I think you've seen this. We've seen this for those of us who pay attention, um, those of us with more conservative minds who actually pay attention to the dangers of what is manifesting today. This is an everywhere non-discriminatory issue. And um, and I just think we're seeing it, you know, in situations like this persona furry thing. But I just don't think I don't think you'll be able to exclude it in anything anymore, Rich. You know, I just think that from now on, I mean, heck, you can go into a hobby store and say, well, I just I identify as a, a yarn today. I mean, <laughs> that's where we're at, seriously. And um, it, it just grows and grows more and more. Um, ridiculous. I'm not even trying to be, uh, you know, ugly about it. That's just where we're at. Right. Right. And, and what, what I find interesting here is, and I, and I understand your point. Um, what I don't understand is how the schools or the administrators at these schools justify telling the parents not to overreact and, and not to, to interrupt the, um, the exploration of their child's fursona. I think that's crazy. Um, What's the rationale behind that? Well, that's that that the the schools and the school systems that are that have gone very clearly woke. They want to be able to tell you as a parent how you are how you should raise your children. So they think that you are being abusive if you're not going along with whatever your child quote feels like. And so it's not surprising that a school system is telling a parent how they and what they should do with their child. Um, I've been saying this every chance I get parents are the gatekeepers. We've, we've got to pay attention to what we're doing and what we're allowing. And if you think that this is just happening in some state, right, you know, over to the left, it's not, it's happening everywhere, even in conservative States like my state, Texas. So, um, we have to pay attention, Rich, and this is no longer uh, just something that's just kind of kids having fun. Um, we have a very woke society that's trying to make sure that identity becomes whatever you want it to be. And we have to make sure we safeguard our children, even with something that's so seemingly innocent, such as little furry animal characteristics and, and you know, what have you. So we've, we've gone from the dangers of identifying as the opposite sex to now identifying as animals with human tendencies or humans with animal tendencies uh, amidst people that are known sexual deviants. It's an interesting time to be alive, folks. Our guest is Teresa Lusk. She's host of the Teresa Lusk Show. And uh, if you have a question or a comment, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. We're coming right back, and the discussion continues on AMC uh, abruptly canceling a film that documented the journey of transgender individuals that detransitioned once they got a little backlash, um, that was done. So uh, we're going to learn about that as well with Teresa Lusk. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> 
is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Our guest, Teresa Lusk, she's host of the Teresa Lusk Show. Make sure you check out the program. And I want to talk about this article I'm looking at AMC abruptly canceling film that documents the journey of detransition. Take two, detransitioners. So the movie was about detransitioners saying they don't. You know, they didn't, they regretted the choice they made. And the next thing you know, they get a little pressure and it's gone. Laura Becker, who's featured in the film, called out the uh, dangerous precedent on, on Fox News. And what, what's interesting here is that uh, the movie, by the way, is called No Way Back, The Reality of Gender Affirming Care. It, it shared the stories of five young detransitioners and insight from a dozen medical experts on the harm being posed by healthcare providers pushing transition and surgery or what they call gender-affirming care. And this is according to the piece in Fox News, but this is something that we see all the time. And when you couple this with that audio clip from the uh, drag people that were marching, right, the drag supporters that were marching in the Pride Parade saying, we're here, we're queer, and we're coming for your children, one can't help but think that, man, we're in pretty uh, hot water over here. Listen to this audio. So I played that since Friday, and I, I'll continue to play it because I think this is a big deal. If they're out there in the streets clamoring this stuff, banging on pots and pans and making a big deal about being queer and coming for your children. Where are the parents? What are we saying? Teresa Lusk, what say you? Well, I think that's exactly you, 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 you just did exactly what needs to be done. You said, where are the parents? What are they doing? You know, at the end of the day, Rich parents, as I said, right before the break, parents are the gatekeepers. We have proof right here that the majority of this group now, I'm not saying every single, because I have seen actually uh, some people that are in this group say, you know, we don't agree with this, but there is a push from the majority of these people to come after your child's mind. They want to defile your child's mind and begin to train them that this is normal, it's acceptable, and this is how God made them. So parents have to rise up because we are the ones. So how do we do that? We begin to nurture their hearts and say, hey, this is who you are. This is your identity. This is not okay. This is not good for you. We, we underestimate sometimes what our children can take in. Listen, if everybody in the school system and social media and their friends can train your child how to believe about themselves, how much more the parents. 
Now, obviously, with uh, with groups like this that are just being glamorized right now through the media, you have a little bit of a tougher challenge. I've I've deal with you know and heard a lot of parents complain about the power of the influence that's going on right now. You take a really good child, somebody who is is you know healthy and they have healthy identities, et cetera, but they begin to feel pressure from this nonsense right here that you just played, people who are promoting it and saying, you know, you're hateful if you don't agree with it. So these children, they begin to feel this pressure because they are not gay, because they are normal, because they are good with their own identity. So they begin to fall into this whole, well, I'm not this, so now I begin to be okay with what you just, with this movement of what you just played. I agree with you. I think this is a it's so important that we no longer say, well, you know, look, as long as they don't do it's that we're past that. Right. Like, I don't care what you do as long as it doesn't affect me. It's clearly affecting you. They said they're coming after your kids. So I think parents have to stand up and, and whether they like it or not. Right. No, no parent likes the conflict. Some maybe some do. Let me rephrase that. But if you're walking down the street. Right. And somebody smacks your kid. It's like your job. You have to smack this person back. You have to protect your kid. And some parents may live for that moment. Uh, you know, I wish a brother would. But most of us are <laughs> passive, right? Most of us are saying, look, I just want to go along and get along. But I think in a moment like this, if they're having a parade about it, at the at the very minimum, we need to have a parade about it, right? We we, we need to say, look, uh, no, we're here. We're, we're here for our children. And if you're coming, you're coming for me. And I think that that message needs to resound across the country so that this type of chanting goes away and that people understand where, where we stand. Agreed, actually. So I think a lot of, uh, for those of us who really believe that this is not okay, most of us have a faith foundation. And in the faith groups, you're taught to just turn the other cheek. We've overused that scripture and we, we, treat, we teach people, well, you just need to be silent and, and you need to just be quiet. But Jesus rose up for the things that were unrighteous, and he had a strong voice when it came to that. And I think faith people need to be okay with, and conservative people, even if they're not of faith, what they need to understand is um, there is a time to rise up and use your voice. And when there is a culture that's trying to dominate, um, it's time to rise up and, and defend things and say, no, thank you. We're not going to receive that for our children, and this is what I'm going to stand for. I believe that just like when you see the other issues that went on, like with Target and the, the Bud Light issue, if you just speak loud enough with your money, your time, your resources, et cetera, you can see this, this movement push back. Now, Teresa Laska doesn't stop there, though. It's not just uh, the woke companies and the woke organizations and, and saying they're coming after your kids. You, you just mentioned people having a faith foundation. They've now come after faith. Not now. It's been happening for a long time. But uh, I saw a clip over the weekend of uh, a woman conducting a religious service in what appeared to be a church and claiming that Jesus had plural pronouns. Uh, and again, I guess you could make that argument as in, you know, the, the Trinity uh, of the Godhead, uh, but that's not how they meant it. And and they were saying that, you know, um, this was, um, it was just in my opinion, it was blasphemous, but I'm going to let you hear it because I, I just think it's, it's interesting how um, I might get um, criticized for my taking exception 
of of this audio clip of these people chanting about they're coming for my children, but yet people are coming for a lot of people's faith and the church and most of us as Christians are silent on that issue. We'll play that on the other side of this. Folks, we're on with Teresa Lusk, uh, host of the Teresa Lusk Show, and our phone number, 833-482-5337. If you want to get in for open phones, you can start getting in now. It's going to be a busy night tonight, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. I invite you to rise in body or spirit and let us confess our faith today in the words of the Sparkle Creed. I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. All right, I've heard enough. That's absolute crazy talk. Jesus didn't have two dads. But, the you know, she, I think she's referring to Joseph and, of course, God the Father. But the way she says it is a double entendre designed to welcome this idea that a household with two dads is a normal thing. And that's somehow, you know, making the, uh, at least that's how I received it. How did you take it, Teresa Lusk? Oh, well, it's actually very um, disturbing. That's the most satanic thing I've ever heard, number one. Number two, for those who are listening, you just have to be careful. Just because somebody says that they're a church and they're representing uh, Christ and Christianity does not make it so. The Bible is very clear on who the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are. There's no such thing as all that nonsense. So we just have to be very careful. Again, we're in a, we're in a time of deception, and it's a spiritual deception, and it's a natural deception that's going on. So the one of the most disturbing things I've ever heard. Yeah, likewise on my end. Uh, and again, it, it's it's shrouded in truth so that if you challenge them, they can say, well, no, we're talking about, you know, uh, his father, Joseph, and uh, of course, his heavenly father. But I, I think it's clear when they start with, you know, we're serving a non-binary God. Uh, I don't I don't know God to be non-binary. I think the whole entire Bible refers to him as Abba, God, the father, which sounds pretty binary to me. But I'm not a theologian, and in the in the 30 seconds that we have remaining, let everybody know how they can watch the Teresa Lusk show. Yeah, on our social media pages, uh, Facebook, YouTube, et cetera, the, the general ones, at the Teresa Lusk show, or they can go to the website, Teresa Lusk show. Outstanding. Teresa Lusk is host of the Teresa Lusk show, and I hope you check it out. Teresa Lusk, thank you for being here with us. I always appreciate it when you're on. Have a great one. You, you bet. Folks, Open Phone America is coming up right now. 833-482-5337. Get your calls in. 833-4-VALDEZ. Lots to talk about and very little time. So I'm, I will speak with you then. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night 
with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. And our phone number is 833-4825-337-8334, Valdez. If you're saying, how come Rich sounds like he has puberty again? Well, that's because I lost my voice because I was at a social function. I was at a little bit of a soiree earlier, uh, but uh, it was a little loud, so I was raising my voice a little bit to talk over the noise. And uh, I am still recovering from bronchitis a week ago. And again, interesting, this bronchitis, not a viral bronchitis like most people get uh, out of the blue. This was bronchitis brought on by me not taking my daily allergy medicine that the doctor said, you got to take it during these months, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't do it. And uh, untreated allergies trigger a bunch of different things, not the least of which are postnasal drip which can quickly turn into bronchitis and or pneumonia, believe it or not, and a sinus infection. I mean, you name it, it can become a lot of things. But anyway, enough of my um, ortholaryngy situation. I am going to bring up a couple of topics here. And some of the topics that I want to talk about tonight are an ABC News story where a nursing home is alleging that or a nursing home allegedly neglected residents and misused $83 million in funds. That's according to the New York Attorney General. I'll touch on that at the um, bottom of the hour. But I I also want to talk about President Biden because, of course, he unleashed his economic plan today, which is being called by his administration Bidenomics, Uh, unlike Ronald Reagan's plan that became known as Reaganomics because the people. There was a groundswell of support. People said, you know, this stuff works and we're doing better and uh, gave it that name. So um, Bidenomics, 34% of people approve of it. 66% of Americans don't approve of it. And maybe it's because Joe Biden showed up with a few marks on his face today to give that speech. Now, they said, what happened to the president's face? Why does he have those marks on? That's because he uses a very, a very, very um, tight mask connected to what they call a CPAP machine. I believe that stands for continuous pressure, pulmonary airway pressure. And um, that's what it is. Now, why do I know this stuff? Because when I was 26 years old, I was diagnosed with sleep apnea. And there were they gave me two options. I could use a CPAP machine or I could get the surgery. And the surgery consists of the removal of your uvula, and your tonsils, and um, other tissue that's around the airway to open the airway and kind of tighten the back of the throat so that um, nothing vibrates when you breathe, which is what makes that that flubbing, snoring sound when people breathe heavy. And that worked for a number of years, uh, but eventually gets loose again, you got to go back under the knife. And I think I'm due for that now, or I have to start using that mask. Either way, I don't like either of those plans. But um, interesting. Now, Biden's had this condition for quite a while, but they're bringing it up today because, well, because he had these marks on his face. So if you have any calls, thoughts, opinions on CPAP machines or sleep apnea as a whole, 
happy to discuss that with you. I think it's a very important uh, topic. A lot of people live with this not knowing. They just think they snore really badly, right? People will say things like, oh, my gosh, you, it's like it's like sleeping next to a wood chipper the way you snore. Oh, it's terrible. And then the choking. And then you stop and you got to, like, push you because it sounds like you die in the middle of your sleep. That, that's called sleep apnea. The apnea means you stop breathing. And if that's happening to you and you're not treating it with the surgery or the mask, you're putting yourself in danger for a uh, stroke or a heart attack. Um, at a way younger age than would ever be necessary. So uh, just a little bit of a tidbit on that. Now, I want to get to some of your calls because we've talked about a lot of things tonight. Uh, I want to go to uh, Charleston, South Carolina. Robert, he's on WTMA. Robert, go right ahead. What's on your mind tonight? Okay, Rich. Um, I just want to give you an idea that, you know, a lot of times when it comes to to what we were talking about, to, 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 to men, older men interested in younger guys and stuff like that, or, or children or stuff like that. Well, yeah, I was talking I was, about children. I was a, uh, it's not okay to go after children. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyhow, when I, was, when I was a youngster, I was a ham radio operator, and there was this guy who, wanted, who bought a piece of radio equipment from the Balloon, which balances the two sides of a dipole, for example, helps balance them out for, for, for better reception and, better, and, 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 and makes transmission mm. better, better possible, actually. So anyhow, uh, he he worked at a radio station, an AM transmitter radio station in in, in, in Miami, Florida, right at the edge of the Everglades. And, right. Uh, you know. And what happened with so this anyhow, man? Anyhow, he, okay, he 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 um he said to me, "Do you mind if I pay you for the balloon in front of the uh, warehouse at the warehouse eight bar, which is right across the street from the." from the Versailles on, on Southwest 8th Street in Miami. So I said, no, no problem at all. So we, we walked in, and he handed me the money, and then, and then I left. And he just wanted to make it look to the other guys like he was paying me for sex. And I, I didn't care. I mean, if you want to do that, it's fine with him, with me. I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it's just... It's, now, how do you know that? Did he tell you that? Or, or he, he specifically brought you to a place where, where there's prostitution in order to, for you to sell the radio equipment? Not... not I don't know if there was prostitution, but if it was, it's, it's certainly, I doubt that it was usual there because even though they did have uh, pictures of, of, of uh, risque pictures on the walls of the bar, the guys looked like they might be about 15 years old or something like that. But I, I doubt that the guys had sex with anybody who was 15. There were just pictures there to make it look like they, you know, so, so that they'd have something interesting to look like, you know, things that they might be interested in looking at, something like that. But, 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 uh, but it was, it, it was, I, I would say that there was there was no way that that, that that anybody that there was anything like that going on. I mean, I, I just can't imagine it. I mean, that, that was. I not, would hope not. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even think they'd be allowed in because the drinking age, I believe, at the time was eighteen. So, so that, that would have been pretty close to impossible. And and if anybody were on the borderline, they would have checked their ID. So so that that would unless they had phony ID, which is of course possible, but most people didn't have it. And 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 people who were younger than eighteen, they they. They had no need to go to a place like that. I mean, they could hang out with guys their own right, age. Right, you know right, right. I mean? Well, we're getting lost here. But uh, ultimately, I understand your story. The guy wanted to make it look like something was going on when it wasn't going on. And um, I, I don't know if, whether I should give the guy credit or not. It sounds pretty odd, uh, right, uh, Robert, the way he tried to, when, you know, when you were younger, try to make it look like something was going on. But it, the, the whole thing is just fishy to me. And it goes back to this audio clip that we had where people were chanting, you know, we're here, we're coming for your children. I think this is um, very problematic, very problematic. And the fact that people would include children, whether it's tongue in cheek or not, 
uh, I, I think it, it rubs people the wrong way. And interesting story. I'm glad that you're okay and nothing crazy happened. And I uh, appreciate the call. Big shout out to everybody on WTMA, Charleston, South Carolina. We're going to continue with the rest of your calls straight ahead. 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, we are continuing with your calls, but I want to reference a story from last year. A Michigan man pled guilty after murdering, then eating the testicles of a man that he met on a dating app. Michigan police reportedly found Mr. Kevin Bacon, not the actor, mutilated with his body hanging in Mr. Mark Latunsky's basement. Wow. And he admitted in court last year that he killed 25-year-old hairdresser Kevin Bacon after luring the University of Michigan student to his home in December of 2019, according to um, MLive.com. Crazy stuff. And I bring that up because I know that one of our callers um, uh, knows of this story. Let's go to Kim Shields in uh, Kim in Shields, Michigan, listening online. Rich Valdez, America at Night dot com. Kim, go right ahead. Hi, Rich. Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of surfaced the the story there. Yeah, it was because re- all tonight you've been talking about how society is getting so bizarre and kinky yeah. and coming after the kids and stuff. But this one topped it off. It was it was over by Lansing in southwest Shiawassee County. And it was in a nice neighborhood on a court with, like, brick nice homes. We couldn't believe it. And after the murder, they met on t- Tinder, I believe. But after the murder, they questioned the neighbors in this nice area. And they said, well, we've seen other weird stuff. We've seen the two men, the man that lives there and his dates, like chasing each other around the yard with leather skirts and lace on and stuff. Oh, boy. And it was it was just really, really bizarre. And, yeah, like you said, this young guy um, was killed and partially eaten. But I think the guy, the Mark Latunsky, has already been sentenced to prison, I think. But uh, you know what I think this is, Rich? Now, are these friends um, of yours, Kim? Oh, <laughs> you asked me that another time. No, it was in the news. Double checking. You asked me that with that other one that put his girlfriend in the closet. But, um, <laughs> but um, I think this is Satan, and I think it's gotten so bad in the last two and a half years since Biden's been in 
I mean, where else would you see men with lipstick and beards and high heels stealing women's luggage at the airport, men meeting and, you know what I mean, and killing and eating part of, you know, so it's, do yeah. you think it has, Crazy. it's gotten so much worse since Biden, and do you think it's Satan and we really have to fight it, you know? Yeah, I think it's definitely Satan. Uh, I, you know, I think if you believe in God, you believe in the devil. And, you know, you, you believe in good and you believe in evil. And um, you try, obviously, to follow uh, everything that's good and holy, and you do the right thing. Uh, but it doesn't mean that the bad thing isn't there and it doesn't exist. And it, it, we we would be silly to ignore it, right? We would be naive, and it would be dangerous if we lived in a world where we didn't look over our shoulder from time to time. Uh, maybe... Many of you don't do that. I know I do. And uh, I think it's a good practice, especially if you're in New York or the surrounding areas, because you never know what's coming your way. But the reality is we have to be prepared. We have to be vigilant. We have to know what's going on. We can't um, always just sit there and and think that everything's hunky-dory. We've, we've just, you know, stay vigilant, stay prepared. I, that's what I think, Kim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I just want to point out to the, the LGD. LGBT people right. that they're not doing themselves any favors by all this extreme bizarrity, you know, and the, we're queer, we're here, and we're coming after your kids, and, and it just the, the parades where they mock twerking, I had to have somebody tell me what twerking was, but, <laughs> you know, it, it really going down the street partially naked, uh, feigning sex acts and stuff, it, 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 it's it's the devil. I, I Satan. I believe it is. And um, thanks for taking my call, Rich. And I have allergies. My eye was watering all day today, and, it, oh, and both it's the my worst. eyes were. It's, oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I you know it's the, all of this hit me in my adulthood. I didn't have allergies growing up as a kid. Uh, you know, I hit thirty, and they started, and they seem to have gotten worse in my forties. It's just crazy. I don't know if it's my allergies that get are getting worse, or the air quality is getting worse, or more pollen in the air. I mean, I'd never seen my car as green as I'd seen it in the last couple of months. So I think we definitely had a, a rough allergy year. Uh, but needless to say, take that stuff serious because you'll end up sounding like me. Yeah. Thank you, Kim. Yeah, I appreciate it. And uh, again, yeah, crazy story. Thanks for bringing it to my attention. This guy, again, the headline, Michigan man pleads guilty after murdering, then eating the testicles of the man he met on the dating app. That is nuts. We're talking about cannibalism here. And they're not Kim's friends, but they are from her part of town in Michigan. So uh, watch out if you're in Michigan. All right, let's see. Where do we go from here? We go to Bowling Green, Kentucky, WKCT. Check in with our friend Jim. Jim, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Rich, you sound a little rough. Hope you get feeling better. Thank you, brother. Yeah, yeah, it's really just the voice. I feel fine, but the, the voice is eluding me today. Yeah, I hear you. Listen, all this we've been talking about, the Sparkle Creed, you know, trying to normalize homosexuality, uh, violence against each other, destroying everything that we base this country on, and the people on the left, and I, and I guess it's on the I don't know if I really should say left, whatever. The people that believe these things, I believe, are a small percentage of our population, maybe 10% of it, maybe less. But yeah. they're, they make Joseph Goebbels look like an amateur for <laughs> brainwashing people and 
PR. They they yeah. they've gone way beyond where we've ever been before. Yeah, I, I would agree that they're really good at the squeaky wheel getting the oil. Uh, it's amazing how good they are in their messaging strategy, and and this is why I think uh, if you um, take exception to that, you, you you have to make sure that you're e- just as equally heard, right? It's, it, I don't think it's enough to say, uh, well, I, I I'm not into that. Let them do their thing. That's fine. Let them do their thing, but you've got to be you know loud and proud about your beliefs because they're being loud and they're being proud and they're having parades. And if, if we don't compete at that level, uh, whether it's radio, television, whatever, uh, we have to get this message out and, and coalesce people. Ultimately, any movement is successful if you can raise the money and coalesce people. Once you can do that, you, you can change things. I think that's why, um, you know, uh, Trump and, and I know there's Obama were, were really good at galvanizing people because they were able to do that. They were able to, to raise the necessary funds to, to make the moves that they had to make. And um, they definitely do that uh, in the LGBTQ movement. You know, it, it's they're experts at it. And I think um, those that take exception, uh, not to their lifestyle or, or their choices, but to the message that someone's coming after your children, uh, if you don't like that, then you've got to make yourself heard, at least in my opinion. Um, that's, you know, that's where I'm at, Jim. The balance being is, I mean, how aggressive do you get? And that's the problem of in a public forum. If, yeah. we, if you get to a point where you state your opinion, uh, maybe it's in a bar or something, and all of a sudden you're a, a troglodyte or a redneck or somebody that's not progressive, and then if it gets confrontational, the problem is at what point, how do we balance that? I think we balance it through free speech, honestly. Um, uh, there's a lot that can be done. When, when Again, they, they, what did they do? Right? It wasn't like they did anything um, uh, other than this big parade. Now, yes, mind you, the guy in Michigan who was eating you know, the guy he met online. But, uh, you know, save that example, these, these folks were having a parade and making their voice heard. So I think that's what we do every day on this program, especially during Open Phone America, minus the parade. But um, it's kind of like a radio parade, if you will. And we uh, we support all the things that we support here, like America and faith and family and uh, all of our great callers. So thank you, Jim in Bowling Green, Kentucky. I appreciate it. Coming back to your calls and more, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez, and our telephone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. If you want to join our conversation, get your calls in now before we wrap up. But um, I teased the story, and I, I see that we have some calls on the line. I'm going to get to you momentarily. Uh, there, there was a story I talked about a little bit earlier. I just mentioned the headline. Nursing homes 
allegedly neglected residents and misused $83 million in funds, according to the New York Attorney General. And that's Letitia James. So uh, we don't know if this is a politically motivated thing or not, but uh, let's take a look here. The owners, operators, and landlords of four nursing homes in New York have for years misused more than $83 million in taxpayer money, according to her, um, according to uh, Letitia James, leaving elderly people in their care dead, neglected, or humiliated by sitting in their own urine and feces. That's horrible. New York Attorney General Letitia James said in a Wednesday lawsuit. The nursing homes owned and operated by Centers for Healthcare include Beth Abraham Center in the Bronx, Buffalo Center for Rehabilitation and Nursing, Holliswood Center for Rehabilitation and Healthcare in Queens, and Maritime Center for Rehabilitation and Nursing in Westchester. Residents at these facilities suffered from severe dehydration, malnutrition, and increased risk of death, developing infections, and sepsis from untreated bed sores and inconsistent wound care. Oh, this is a nightmare. I went through a little bit of this with my dad, uh, who was here in my care, but because he couldn't move and he would always end up on his back, got a little bit of a bed sore. And uh, that's tough, tough to treat too. Uh, They uh, sustained life-changing injuries from falls and died, according to the lawsuit. Man, I tell you. Then it goes on to talk about how they wasted all this money. I mean, this is just a horrible story. And, you know, it's funny. Today I was at, I told you, at a, a cocktail party, a mixer, a little earlier. And one of the women there said, oh, I just want to thank you for, uh, you know, the work that you've done um, on the radio. And I said, oh, thanks. I appreciate that. <clears throat> and she said, yeah, um, I'm part of an organization and our founders Um, I heard them on your show when I had a show in New York city from 10 AM in the morning to noon in the, you know, 12 noon. And, and it was two sisters that started, uh, an organization called voices for seniors. And they started voices for seniors because their mom was pronounced dead and they weren't, you know, allowed to be there with her as she died. And it, it was just really tragic for them during um, the the pandemic, as it was for so many people. But they, they made it a mission to uh, help people in similar situations and make sure that that doesn't happen again. Anyway, I, I bring all that up to say, this is rough. And, you know, I can't imagine I'm the only one that's ever been through that. So if you want to uh, be heard on that topic, feel free. But right now, I want to go to Frank in Evergreen, Montana. Frank, go right ahead. I know that you're pretty tough, so um, you're not one of these old people that are going to be left for dead, right? I hope not, but hey, uh, <laughs> uh, my dad started out in radio way back there, but radio was just started. And my, my grandfather was fighting before World War One, and you know, and uh, the Persian Revolution, and you know, the family goes back, but uh, gosh. Uh, um, a lot of kids these days, uh, every 20 years, you've got to have a kid, you know, but uh, it's just, <laughs> every uh, 20 years. That's funny. Why would you have a kid every 20 yeah. years to make sure you have a babysitter built in? Yes. But, hey, uh, uh, back, you know, in World 
prior to the, the start of World War One, it was the Edison bullhorn that mm-hmm. rallied everybody on WABC and all these uh, New York uh, streets. To, to, it like was stirring up the mobs to, to yeah. get into World War One, and Hitler was. Uh, Using the same tactics and um, and, uh, and and all the other uh, uh, leaders, you know, like uh, Mussolini, uh, it was it was radio, the electronics of it, and and then uh, FM radio was uh, invented later on, but it was like uh, it's a different way of broadcasting where you, you have towers going in an X and a Y pattern and takes occupies too much land space, but um, but it gives you that it's a distorted kind of a uh, sound, but it's uh, it's interference. And I think AM is a better technology. But yeah, well, speech, I think that's why you see the reach of AM radio in so many places. Anyway, what does this have to do with Biden or the price of coffee in Brazil? Uh, in Biden's case, you know, he's uh, he likes to use the power of the microphone. You know, like he's a fighter, but it's all stage. And like what I hear heard was like an echo chamber, like a reverberation, like the, what you hear like on a radio, Iranian radio station. It's just everything's echoey. Or even in Mexico, you got the echo, 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 echo. You know, it's just. Uh, <laughs> I don't know much about the Mexican echo, but I do know Yo Quiero Taco Bell. That's one of my favorites. Frank in Evergreen, Montana, KOFI. Thank you very much. Big shout out to everybody in the Kalispell area listening to KOFI. Always a pleasure to speak with you guys. We're going to get to your calls and more. We got calls from Alabama, from Syracuse, New York, and more. Straight ahead, don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America. Welcome back. Um, it's being reported that Madonna has been hospitalized for a serious bacterial infection and she's been intubated. She's in intensive care. She was found unresponsive in New York City. And uh, it's horrible, horrible news. Um, you know, I don't know much more than what's being reported here. Uh, forced into a serious battle for her health after suffering a bacterial infection, which sent her to the ICU. And obviously her tour is now on hold. All right. Here, getting an update in my ear. She's out of the ICU, uh, which is great news. She was in the hospital. Um, Do you know if they removed the tube? All right. So she's improving 
and they expect a full recovery, and that's great. Good to know. Um, it's always hit or miss. You know, I went through that. I went through so many health scares with my dad, and I remember he um, he had gotten a, a bacterial infection, same thing, um, from they don't know how people get those, but they, if they don't get treated they um, or if they, they don't respond to antibiotics, what ends up happening is it could spread to your blood and then become a septic infection. And uh, when that happens, it could take forever because they're very resistant to antibiotics. So needless to say, very difficult thing to deal with. And every doctor you talk to, whether it's the infectious disease specialist or the intensivist or the regular doctor or the pulmonologist, they all kind of, you know, tiptoe around and tell you, yeah, this could be it. You know, this is very serious. And and it is. So when I read that, I was uh, taken aback. Again, I'm not a huge Madonna fan. Matter of fact, I I don't think I, I I have a favorite song of Madonna's, but she's Madonna. You know, she's an 80s pop icon, and who doesn't love some Madonna, right? Papa don't preach. There you go. Anyway, back to your calls. Let's do it. Uh, Syracuse, New York, WGVA. Charles, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Uh, Rich, you must know that the uh, homosexual lifestyle and the transgender are condemned in the Bible. And uh, in both cases, uh, uh, yeah, well, Leviticus 20, verse 13, and Deuteronomy 22, verse 5, uh, that one of them is a death penalty, the homosexuals, and uh, the other one is uh, called an abomination, which means uh, you go to hell in both cases. So anybody that even thinks of getting into that is really not thinking uh, clearly. You, right, playing with fire. Think of it. Yep. Yeah, good point. And, uh, I, I hear you on that one, Charles, and I appreciate it. Big shout out to everybody in Syracuse, New York, WGVA. Let us continue our little journey across America from Syracuse, New York to Dothan, Alabama. WDBT. Hey. Scott, you're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hey, Rich, great to talk to you. Uh, I was Likewise. reacting to that caller uh, who pretty much threatened you. I took I took offense to that. I've got six kids and three grand youngins. Let mm. them guys try to come after my kids, my grand. Yeah. They're, they're our future, and I'm not going to let this happen to my youngins. You know, there, I, I, I try to explain to anybody who's ever, you know, ask these questions, mainly people who are like, you know, what's it like having kids, people that are not parents and that, you know, and I, I pr- impress upon them. There's really like this one overarching job, which is that one to protect your family, right? And whatever it takes, go down with the ship, do what you got to do. And, and it, it just amazes me the, um, that this is a thing that we're even having this conversation that there are a bunch of people because of how they choose to live their life have decided to include and we're coming for your children as part of a chant to make a social or political statement. I would not say that about anybody's children unless I was prepared for whatever consequence uh, was coming my way. And, uh, you know, I don't know if I'm overreacting, uh, but it sounds like you, you kind of took it the same way I did. I did. I honestly did. Uh, I've got a few homosexual friends. When they heard about this, they got irate. They said, we are not about trying to get children into our lifestyle. When they get older right. and that's what they choose, then that's what they choose. 
It's on them. Uh, uh, right. Yeah, we had a guest on about, I don't know, maybe it was, I think it was last Monday. And um, she was uh, conservative and, um, you know, and she was very clear in, in that the she said the LGBTQ movement didn't represent her because she wasn't part of all of those letters. She was only a lesbian and that she was a homosexual. And she said, you know, the part of the homosexual experience is to be one sex and like that same sex. And, you know, it was a very simple but interesting point that she made that she said, you know, the whole transgender movement undermines the homosexual movement because you change your gender to become the opposite sex, which kind of uh, flies in the face of being gay. And uh, I had never thought of it that way, but she brought it to my attention and I thought it was interesting. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of people I think that are are gay or lesbian or part of the LGBTQ community overall that are listening to what's going on with uh, some of these comments, from some of these groups. And, and they're saying, you know, what the hell, what, what is going on here? They take exception to it as well uh, because, you know, kids are off limit limits and as should be one's faith and everything else. But sadly, it seems that people are just fascinated with going uh, that way. Anyway, uh, people want to touch the third rail. They may get burnt. Folks, don't go anywhere. Scott, thank you for the call. Big shout out to everybody in Dothan, Alabama, WDBT. I'm Rich Valdez. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, we're about to wrap it up. But before we do, we got to check in with our friends in Tennessee and Ohio. So let us go first to Paul. Paul's in Zanesville, Ohio, W-H-I-Z. Go right ahead, Paul. Hey, good evening, Rich. You know, um, I'm no Smokey the Bear or nothing, but um, I'd like to ask you about those fires up in Canada. I mean, uh, you know, I I just got off work at 10 o'clock tonight and just caught your show in time. And I, I work at a, uh, a big box store now. It's a retirement job. And um, we weren't even allowed outside today without a, a 95 mask on. And I'd just like to know, you know, what's the status up there? I mean, this 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 is pretty crazy. I mean, my wife come outside today and she said, man, it's burning my eyes. I mean, are they going to get this under control up there? I mean, this, this just seems pretty odd. I mean, you look out today and our whole uh, uh, sky gaze was just like, real gray with smoke and it, it smelled like somebody was actually burning in the backyard. I mean, what's the situation up there? Could you tell me? Yeah. Well, uh, all I could tell you is I, I know that things continue over there and the, the fires are tough to control. And as they blow this way, that way, whatever, you know, it's amazing how they can predict this stuff. But I can tell you about the day that it, it got to New York. That was uncanny. I mean, talk about like close encounters of the third kind. The sky was orange it smelled like wow. people were burning newspapers in their fire pits outside. I mean, it was horrific. 
I, I didn't believe a word of what the news was saying because they were saying it's coming from Canada. And I was like, Canada, this is coming from my neighbor. It's like in your face. It, you could see the smoke. You could taste the smoke. It was horrible. And, yeah, I did not go outside without an N95. It, it, I've been in a fire. When I was 11 years old, I was in a fire. And I can tell you, it felt like just coming out of a building that was on fire. That's how bad it was. I'd never seen it before uh, that bad in New York. Uh, but that was the case. Well, I think maybe they should look into that. You know, I don't know how well uh, Canada's controlling that. And, Paul, that, just to give you a perspective, but... in Quebec, there's 113 fires. And in Montreal, I think there's 94. British Columbia, excuse me, 94 fires. These are simultaneously burning. So... Hmm. You're talking about 250 acres of land burning at the same time. 250,000, excuse me. Yeah. In 24 hours. I was just wondering because it's, yeah, it's bad. I mean, it was really bad here. And, you know, we're we're quite a way, you know, down. Oh, yeah. um, Ohio's plenty plenty far from from (laughs) Canada. So is New York. I'm not talking about, you know, Albany. I'm talking about New York City. It's far. It's amazing how that stuff makes its way. Okay, yeah, well, so thank you for your time, Rich. I you like got it, Paul. About things like that. All right. Thank yeah. you. The magic number, Paul, 483 fires that are actively burning right now. So uh, prayers for everybody out in Canada. That's some crazy stuff. Let us go to Joanne, Greenville, Tennessee, WGRV. The RV should stand for Rich Valdez if it doesn't already. Joanne, go right ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Rich, for being a defender of our faith, of our country. Oh, thank and, you. Uh, I'm a, I'm a great grandma of eight. Get out! You don't sound and, like you're old enough to be a great grandma of eight. <laughs> well, um, but anyway, um, Satan is on the rampage, mm. and. We have a famine of the word. Yeah. And the only solution is go put on the whole armor of God, like it tells you in Ephesians six eleven through 20. And all these things that are going on about animals and woke and everything, um, uh, Romans chapter one is if someone read that whole thing. Uh, and Joanne, the music means I've got to go, but an excellent point you've made. You know, when things are going haywire, turn to God, right? You can't go wrong with that. Thank you, Joanne. Big shout out to everybody in Greenville, Tennessee, WGRV. And of course, thank you everybody for listening and tuning in tonight. We're going to do it again tomorrow. Uh, hasta la próxima. Until the next time, take care, good night, and God bless. And keep it locked on this station because there's way more programming coming up. But we're doing it again tomorrow, so we'll talk at that time. Hasta la próxima. I'm Rich Valdez. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.